This episode was recorded via correspondence and may have some sound quality discrepancies. We hope you enjoy the content and look forward to bringing you more. Welcome back to Brain to Bar and a very warm welcome to those new to the podcast. My name is Sophia and I'm your host and thank you for joining me in navigating the neural pathways of people's brains and seeing what makes them successful. Today's guest is a former powerlifting coach, full-time mum and full-time boss. Her self-awareness and commitment to becoming better every day is exemplified in the fruition of Strong Fitness Magazine Australia. Here is my chat with Director of Strong Mag Australia, Alicia. And I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast, Alicia Fistonich. Yay! I really need to get an applause button installed. <laughs> if you talk... If you told me, I would have joined in with you because at least it would have been more than one person clapping. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe I'll just a little bit more. A round of applause. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me for our chat today. Um, it's, been, it's been a long time in isolation, so I'm really excited to see another person's face and have a nice... The one who's face. not Lancers. Yeah, that's not Lancers. <laughs> and someone, you know, where I could, we can share some conversation about other topics other than what are we going to eat tonight? <laughs> what are we going to watch on Netflix? Yes, that too. <laughs> Which has become a very boring answer, to be honest. It's the same thing every night. We're on Trailer Park Boys. Okay, we've just, um, we finished Lucifer. And obviously, like, the last season's been, it's just like, it's not been put back on yet. So we started making our way through, like, all the Marvel movies in order. So, a little bit different. Disney. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> quarantine has unleashed the inner, like, OCD nerds in everyone. Like, I've done the same thing. I've gone back, but I've gone a little bit more, like, this is the fourth time I've tried to watch Pretty Little Liars from season one to seven and try to understand the ending. Um, it was, I just never got it. I was like, I'm going to give it another go. I have no excuse. Still- My goodness, I said... I started watching that a few years ago and I just, I think I lost it and then I just never got back into it. And I can't even remember what like overtook it. Maybe it was revenge or something like that. And I just, I just haven't gone back to it. Probably it's an endurance test, isn't it? Pretty little lies. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after the first season. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. I can talk about all the TV shows all day, but today we're here to talk about you and your experiences. Um, for those of uh, us listening at home, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about. Absolutely. So my name is Alicia. I am a mum of two boys. So they have, um, one will be nearly six and one has just turned three. Um, I am a partner to my other half who is Stuart. I'm a daughter and I'm also the director of Strong Fitness Magazine Australia. So prior to my life as being the director, I was a female specific strength coach for, um, for about five years. So I'm really, really passionate about like mental health and female health and like body image and I guess all of those things that are wrapped up and encompassed into like that topic. Um, Prior to that, I had some boring ass corporate life for a while until I decided it wasn't for me. Yeah, look, that's pretty fair enough. I'm, (laughs) I think uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I had a little bit of an office life and went, nah, next. Yeah. (laughs) Also, actually, it's pretty not funny. It's kind of funny now. It's ironic, but I um I was working for a really big media company and was pregnant with my oldest son, 
and was only going to take three months maternity leave because I was, you know, hashtag at the time. It was anyway, I thought I could do more than I could. And when I asked for an extra month of maternity leave, they turned me down and instead they were going to hire someone entirely new. So I was like, fuck this. I'm basically never going back to work for anyone ever again. And I basically haven't. And I flat out refuse. So yeah. Wow. Well, that's, yeah. that's just, I don't, I wouldn't know how to feel like, and that like you've been working there, you've been doing your thing and then, you know, you're doing something beautiful now. You're going to bring someone out into the world and they're like, and eh, we're not going to wait for you. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. No, and it was, it was, it was a really, really tough. Um, it was a really tough pill to swallow at the time because I'd gone in there and was a really like I was part of a like a sales team doing really well highest performing team member one of and the woman who did that or said that I made that decision was a mum of two kids but she'd come back to work at six weeks and was very unmaternal not that not that mums that who go back to work at six weeks aren't but she was and it was kind of a like no because I did it everyone else has to do it sort of a thing but it worked out to be a really like it worked out to be a blessing in disguise in the end so wow it is well, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's the thing. Like every single body is completely different and everyone experiences things very differently. So it's just, it's just really tough that they met, they took that kind of approach where, oh, this person came back. Therefore everyone else has the ability to come back, but you yeah, have exactly. Yeah. Like the pregnancy, what happens after you give birth, like everyone has a unique experience emotionally, mentally, and physically. And it's just, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from there, Alicia. That would have been really tough. How did you actually, if we go back to like your mental health, how did you deal with that kind of setback after having committed yourself so much to a role and being one of the highest performers to turning around and realizing that they don't want me to come back or they're going to replace me? Um, it's a really good question. My mum, who was around at the time, had a very, like, she had quite a hard-nosed attitude about that sort of stuff. So she wasn't really the sort of person to encourage, like, sitting around moping or being unproductive or, I guess, sitting in a, like, oh, what was me, pity party sort of an environment. So I guess I kind of, like, you have the initial shock, you have the initial sadness, and then I'm just... I'm the sort of person who's like, okay, well, maybe it's for the better. Let's kind of, let's try and look at what I can do now. So it kind of, I guess it's not dissimilar to what's happened at the moment, because in that instance, it forces you to reassess what is actually important and what's not important financially, because I'd wanted to be like, I'd wanted to be a coach for such a long time, but I'd never done it because I was under full-time employment. And I was like, I can't afford this. Like I can't afford to not have full-time salary and then build up a new business and you know, yada, yada, yada. So I didn't really have any other choice at that point in time. And it kind of strips you right down to, really becoming aware of what you're comfortable with or what you can be comfortable with when you previously would have sat back and thought, no, I can't do that because like you get stuck into these, like you get stuck into these ideas and your stories on your head of what you can deal with and what you can't deal with. When ultimately at the end of the day, when we're forced into certain positions, we adapt and we evolve and we deal with it. Um, so in that instance, I went and did my cert three and force ahead, obviously my son after that happened, he was, about three months old, two and a half, three months old, I think. Um, I went and did my Cert 3 and my Cert 4 um, fitness certification online. So my mum was a PT at the time as well. So I was able to get her to sign off on heap of my stuff, yes. um, which was fine. Yeah, exactly. It was fine. And then when Heath was about six or seven months old, I went and started working at the same gym as mum, which was in Anytime Fitness down the road and started building up my coaching from there. Wow. That's, 
that's a that's a big mind shift because I know that there's a lot of people that find it difficult to come out of the woe is me kind of mentality and um we in terms of dealing with adjustments and big life changes as you mentioned it's really important to you know experience those emotions and allow our bodies to symptomatically react because our bodies will start to feel things and if we you know repress them it'll only accumulate and you know we'll get what we call compound interest in emotions and it'll explode later so if we go to that because you you mentioned that you grew up in that environment where all right we need to kind of look at it in a different perspective. Was there any kind of moment in your upbringing or even later on with your mum where you kind of, um, any strategies, I should say, you implemented to learn how to shift your mind like that? Or was it just a natural kind of uh, event from the nurture? Um, I think it's probably been more just acclimatising to growing up in that sort of an environment. On the flip side, though, although in a lot of instances it does prove to be helpful, on the flip side, it can be also like a detrimental behaviour mm-hmm. in the sense of it's it's really hard to find that balance between like exactly what you've just talked about. So learning to actually assess your emotions, let yourself feel them, go through like experiencing them and sitting in them and not just shutting them down and burrowing, like burrowing them away so that you can just keep trudging on like a robot. So um, that's probably, I think that's probably the best way to explain it. So, and when I was about 15 or 16, so I grew up with horses from when I was about 10 and we had, um, when I was about 15 or 16, my mum's horse had to be put down. She was really old. Um, it was quite traumatic. Like she had really bad arthritis and stuff like that. And I remember at the time thinking, cause I was like, yeah, I was 16 and mum was so upset. And I was like, I can't grieve. The thought process I had as, as a kid at that point was I can't grieve this. I can't be sad. Like my mum has enough to deal with already. I need to be strong to support her. So I never actually processed and I found it much easier moving forward from that where I could just lock things away and shut them off and not worry about them and then keep being there to move on to the next task or evolve or keep progressing forward. So Although it does give me the ability in most instances to to pivot and react really quickly and respond really quickly and not get hung up on certain things and not attach myself to certain things, one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn over the last few years and especially in the last 12 months is that only really gets you so far. And if you're not communicating with other people, the process that you're going along and where you're going down and I guess the the challenges that you're facing, you really only can get so far on your own. Um, And I'm one of these people who will have, probably you can tell by how fast I'm talking, but my brain moves really fast. So I have, I'll have three or four conversations in my head and then I'll go to have them with someone else. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, hang on, we just (laughs) wait. Sorry, I've got to. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, so learning to, I guess, dissect all of those, take a step back, assess where other people are coming from and then go, okay, so these are the options I have in front of me. There's really no point, like I'm quite an objective person. So there's looking at it going, okay, it's okay to feel sad. Absolutely. Cause it's a shit card to be dealt, but there's also no point in my mind sitting there and going, okay, this is crap. I'm just going to sit here and sit. Like to me personally, it is not like it's a waste of time and energy 
And I'm like, if I'm going to use my energy and I'm going to use my emotion and my thought process into something, it's not going to be wasted sitting here being sad. Like it's okay to be sad, but I'm not going to sit there and waste my, not that being sad is wasting time, <laughs> but I'm not going to use excessive time on and misuse it. I think is probably what I'm trying to say. Yes, I completely understand. That's something that even I talk through with my clients in the past, present. It's taking the time to just be, you know, in that moment when you feel the reaction happening. Because um, something that I also talk to my therapist about is the difference between what your brain is experiencing versus your body. So your body is actually going to experience physiological symptoms like heart rate increase. You know, you're going to start shaking because of the adrenaline. And it's really important in that moment to actually honor your body's reaction. Allow it to happen. It's going to happen. If you start hyperventilating, you know, learn how to kind of get through it, manage it, but just let the body kind of release it because that's the emotion that's coming out. Your brain is just attaching this experience to ideas and stimulus. Oh, this person looked at me this way. It must be because of this. Or, you know, someone said, made this comment must be this, but your body is just trying to get rid of that energy. So in terms of what you have just described is exactly what I think is a healthy balance where you sit down and allow yourself to be in that sad moment. How, you know, your chest might be feeling really tight and you're a bit stressed. Acknowledge it and then go, all right, when you're ready, when your body has calmed down from the symptomatic response, let's be a bit objective. Let's actually look at the situation. Is it as bad as I thought? Or maybe, you know, it becomes clearer where um, you should go, which actually leads me into a segue. I've just had another penny drop moment because you're a powerlifting coach or you were a powerlifting coach. So you'd understand what happens when an athlete, for instance, gets into a heightened state of arousal when they're about to do a big lift or they're about to perform, our cognitive function actually decreases, which is why, you know, as a coach, you and your athlete will have, you know, kind of your own language where I uh, think I call it a trigger words that will mean do a certain process, but it's just one word because the brain can't actually um, analyze or break down complex sentences. So I feel like this is like one of those moments where your body is so heightened that your brain, your cognitive function is not there. So you have to sit there and go, I'm going to pick my battles. I'm not fighting my brain. Let's just let my body do its thing. And then when it's calmed down, my brain can work. And that's, I think that for me, that's how I resonate with your example there. And I think that's a great example um, to set and have like, you know, our listeners maybe even give it a go, sit in your body, let it calm down and then try to solve the problem. Not while it's happening. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I guess we have like a good example of what you're talking about there too, is being able to do your own kind of guided meditation process. So having your own systems in place, like you just spoke about, and being able to sort of ground yourself within your own body and feel it without necessarily being attached to what it's feeling. So and I guess that kind of associates and links to a really good concept as well about the fact that like we aren't our thoughts and it still amazes me and surprises me how many people are not necessarily aware of that and that they still, they still latch on really strongly to that ownership of the fact that the thoughts are their own cognitive, like it's their own cognitive function, but it is like, it is not cognitive function. It's their own like processing of their cognition, but it isn't, isn't. Like there's so many different levels to that, that it's so important that we don't take ownership over everything because that also 
impacts like the trigger response that our body feels. So we can, once you get really deep into that mindset, mindfulness and like the self-awareness stuff, and you can be amazed at how well you can impact your own body sensations by what you're thinking. So what book was, I was reading something a little while ago, I can't remember which book it was, but it gave the example about in in the Vietnam War, it was one of the, perhaps it was when the Chinese were first persecuting the Tibetan monks. And there's a really, really famous image and it won the Pulitzer Prize and it was taken by a journalist of the monk who set himself on fire. So he sat down, have you heard about this? Yeah, so they... yeah, did my year 12 uh, VCE solo on that image. Shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the the, image. yeah. Time ago, but yeah. Yeah, so the Beautiful. story behind that is phenomenal. And like for the readers who aren't aware of the fact that um, they were, the was it the Buddhist monks? It was, wasn't it? The Tibetan monks were performing a like a peaceful protest or a peaceful stand-in and they alerted all of this media and only two photographers turned up or two journalists turned up and one forgot their camera. And the one who did take their camera took the photo of this of this monk who sat down, put himself into a deep meditation, and then they doused him in petrol and set himself. They set him on fire, and he didn't he didn't move a muscle. And that to me, like it's it's horrific, but it's an, it's an impressive. Doesn't even cover it. But the example that that gives us over what we're capable of is like it's phenomenal. And I think that's also really like not everyone is sitting for eight to 10 hours a day in meditation, but it also shows us the capacity of what we can do. Well, I just got goosebumps just kind of, as you were describing, I could see it again. I was like, oh, it's, it's so moving because there's so much in that one image that, you know, it's almost, it's it's really easy to get really existential (laughs) because now like we're asked, we're seeing that we're seeing that, human beings adaptability we're seeing how far and let's let's not even we could probably go further like it's just no one's been able to try it it's just how far can you stretch your undies before they snap like (laughs) but it was also like was it it was gandhi though who um fasted for 42 42 days like i get cranky after four hours imagine if we slowly pushed ourselves (laughs) We have the capacity to do that. So I think, yeah. I think the biggest thing though, like I gave, a, I was involved in a talk a few weeks ago, more than a few weeks ago now, a few months ago with um, some friends of ours who owned one of the local fit stops and she's a psychologist and we did a talk about values. And I mm. think it was, it was really interesting for me to take that step back and give that talk and listen and watch people's responses. And I would say like so many people within that room, they get the feedback that I got and from talking to them, because we were talking about breaking down goals and line with your values, what a value is, how you figure it out, how you rank them, like all of that sort of stuff. And I think for a lot of the people in the room, like they were really scared. Like they, and I don't, like I didn't obviously have time to sit back and talk to them about where it came from, why they were scared, what they were uncertain about. But there is such a, and I don't know whether it's because we live in a society where everything is right there. We have access to everything. So anything that we can't see, we don't know that's in our blinker points. I think for a lot of people and myself previously, like I wasn't immune to this and I'm still not, where we can't see something, it is so easy to catastrophize and let our minds stretch to that point of the what ifs or the what could be. And it can almost be addictive. It can be so addictive to fall down that rabbit hole of drama that sometimes it can take that third person 
talking to you or observing and going, okay, let's pull this back a little bit here now. And let's, let's look at what's really here. And I know Tim Ferriss did this and there was, there's another guy I've lost his name and he's a millionaire and he really famously lived. So he wrote a book about it, writes a blog about it, very famously lived as a homeless man or essentially like what he classified as a hobo for like a month. And he does it, he does it very regularly. So, um, I honestly can't fly for me to think of who it is right now, but what he does is they do it as a mental strengthening exercise. So they sit there and they visualize taking everything away, what it would feel like, what it would feel to, to be in that position and then live that experience out. And it really, once you live through what you think your worst fear is or the worst things that could possibly happen, it doesn't have that power of you anymore. And then you're no longer at its, at its peril essentially to control you. You know, when you sit back and you think about in this instance about, like losing weight or doing a powerlifting comp or having an injury or running a business, you sit back and think about the worst possible things that could happen. And 99% of the time, apart from a freak occurrence, like they're not, they're not the worst things that could happen to you. Like you think about, you know, powerlifting, you whiteness all your meat. Okay, cool. You go back to the drawing board. You look at all of the factors that are involved in that decision process. What happened? Did you not have enough sleep? Did you not eat enough food? Did you diet too long? Did you cut too much weight? Did you not drink enough water? Did you not have enough salt? Were the, like, were the lifts far too outside of your training program? Was it too hot? Was it too cold? Was it just a shit day? And you know what I mean? Like there's so many of those things and it doesn't have to come back to the fact, oh, you know, you know, I suck. I'm so crap. Right, right, right. Well, no, not really. It's also, again, it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of thinking that, but you don't have to. And that's the beauty of us as humans is that we have that power and that control and that choice that we don't have to engage in that almost animalistic part of our brain. And we can take a step back and go, okay, these are all of the objective factors. That's an excellent um, example of how you know, it's, I'm exactly the same. And that's probably one of the reasons that, you know, I developed a bit of a heightened anxiety in my teens is the what ifs, what if, what if, what if. And I just remember my dad, actually, two things really helped in terms of dealing with it. And you mentioned before, you know, unless you've lived it, you know, it's, it's hard not to be scared. It's hard not to make these, you know, predictive um, kind of uh, ideas and notions about, what could happen. But I remember my dad sat me down one day, I think I was like 17 and I was just stressed over what if I'm failed, I'm going to fail this exam, what's going to happen. And my dad just went in his Greek, thick Greek accent was like, Sophie, don't worry. It might not happen. <laughs> it was, that was like the verbal equivalent of spraying Windex on it. Like, <laughs> and it stuck with me. And I thought my dad is like, he's not, he's chill, but at some, at like certain times he's so not chill, but that was the most Zen I've ever seen him. And it was it just came across and it hit something. And I went, you're right. It might not happen. I might not fail. I might not get there late. Like what's the point of, like you mentioned earlier, wasting all this energy on something that hasn't happened and trying to solve a problem that probably won't arise because I study, I understand this, I've done well here. Like, it's just, that was probably one turning point where I, that kind of switched on for me. But the second comes back to the acting because this is something that as actors, we need to actually decondition because we go to auditions for roles, 
the parts and TV shows, commercials, and you get more rejections than you do jobs as an actor. It yeah. is, it's just fact. And it's so easy to fall into, oh, I must be a sh like shit actor, or I didn't say this right, or I didn't look right, or I need to lose some weight. Like this kind of industry, it's, it's very easy to fall into body image issues, um, self-esteem issues. And it wasn't until I actually did a workshop with a cast, I think a couple of casting directors when I was in my early 20s. And they were saying, you know what? You go into audition, an audition, go in just to have fun. Ha do what you love to do. At the, end of the at the end of the day, the casting director may not cast you just because they wanted someone that looked more Asian <laughs> or a different type or someone who was a bit shorter. Or maybe they had, you know, the casting director has seen 50 other auditions that day and they're just tired and they just... You know, it just happens. Like you don't actually, it's not about you at the end of the day. There are so many different variables that affect people's decision-making. And you might think it's about you because if you're in there, you're being a bit vulnerable or whatever it is, but it could be your hair is too long and you didn't want to cut it. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. And it's as simple as that. And that's when you kind of have to go, you know what? Don't worry, it might not happen. Take it as it comes. If the problem arises, you solve it then. Don't try to solve problems that haven't occurred yet. A hundred percent. And sometimes it just is what it is. Yeah. It's actually really funny you bring that up though, because I've literally just had this conversation with my partner today about something that I still need to keep working on is as much as I can remove myself from a situation, it's still really easy to take things personally when they're not. And yes. as a result, you end up like you end up reacting to someone because you perceived it as a personal, like a personal pointed remark or whatever it is when actually it's not. And it's the same as like, it's the same as with kids, you know, like one of the biggest things I've learned as a parent is a lot of the time with their outbursts and things like that, you know, when we were kids growing up, you know, you've got your basic manners, like don't be rude and things like that. But I think when we were growing up, if we had those outbursts, it would be seen as naughty when now we understand so much more, like I look at the boys, like we picked up um, Heath yesterday and it's his third, second day back at school um, in like five weeks. He's five. He got in the car and he was like, can we go this tricky way home? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I went the way that he, I thought he meant. And he just lost it, screaming, crying, kicking, blowing up. And I was like, did you have a hard day today, mate? He's like, no, I'm not telling you. And like turned away. And I was like, are you tired? don't talk to me like that. And just like, he just lost it. And I was like, okay, we'll just let it pass. Just chill. Cause it's not, he's not angry at me. He's not being rude. Like there's boundaries. You've got to teach kids. Like the most important things about teaching them how to manage, like it's okay to be angry and sad, but yelling at other people, probably not appropriate, but they're five and three. They have shit at self impulse impulse control. But it's a really good example of just learning to like sit back and let them move through it. And then go, okay, what actually is the problem here? And they were able to work out he was really tired, he was had enough, he didn't want to talk to anybody, he just exploded, you know. And I don't think adults are that dissimilar, to be honest. I can think of a lot, of, myself included, I think of a lot of adults who still throw the toys out of the cot. I can tell you exactly <laughs> when I did that last week. <laughs> I had, yep, yeah, I had one about three, it was about two or three weeks ago now. And it was about like the whole coronavirus thing, because I'm the sort of person who always, I like problem solving, love problem solving. And... <laughs> 
It's the worst. It can be the worst thing ever. Absolutely. And helping other people. And with all the gym closures and stuff with the business, I was just like, I've kind of lost, I've kind of lost both now. And um, it was, it was such, I didn't realize, I think it took me two or three weeks of unpacking things. And I started getting like, I knew I was getting all of my symptoms that I had something festering, but I couldn't work out what it was. And like, I get really tired. I get really, like, I get really down. You know, the tired is always a really big giveaway. Like I have this certain type of tired that I feel when I feel like shit. Um, like my training was getting really hard. Like just, I was getting short. I was getting really grumpy. Like I was snapping at everybody. And then I eventually just, I got into bed and I just like, I cried. I lost it crying and crying and crying and sobbing. And my other half is looking at me and he's like, just what is wrong? It's like, just snap out of it. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can. can. You step like, out of it. <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, you do it. But the thing is, is he has a valid point though, because what I'd done was I hadn't communicated. I was festering in my shit basically. So I'd kind of broken my first two val, like two of my values and guidelines about how to process this sort of stuff. I blocked it away. So I hadn't tried to feel with it. I hadn't asked for help. I hadn't done any journaling. I just squirreled this shit away. And then that infested a whole bunch of subconscious crap thinking that I wasn't aware of. And I sat there and I was like, I can't do this. I'm no shit. I'm not good enough. I'm blah, 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 blah. And then he was like, he's like, all right. After like 20 minutes of just sobbing. He's like, are you done? Like, let's, <laughs> he's like, you know, let's just, let's talk this through. And once we broke it down, talk it through. And I got rid of all that pent up emotion. Like it was like, okay, can do this one thing at a time, catastrophizing. And it's so easy to do, especially with everything at the moment where so many things have been like taken away essentially in one go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, oh, that just reminded me of the, I think it was like two, three weeks ago, you know, that, that tired that you mentioned, I get a certain tired as well. It's almost, I think a couple of years ago, I actually pushed myself to the point where my nervous system had a breakdown and I lost control, voluntary control of my muscles and just had a fever. Oh, wow. It was, it was bizarre. And it lasted like three days. I was in bed for three days for it to be able to work again. And since then, I've started noticing when I'm on that path, I get a certain tide where it's like, it's neural. It's you wake up and it's like, you've already just run a marathon instead of being. I couldn't, like I couldn't even have a nap. Like I'm good at having naps and I stopped being able to have naps. That's a big time. (laughs) No, no, nap time is important. Um, but yeah, when you can't even do that and I just remember, I was like, why am I so stressed? Why am I feeling so bogged down? I'm like, I must have a lot to do today. And I opened my schedule. I had one appointment on zoom, which was a social appointment. And I said, and that's when it kind of my objective Sophia came out and went, are you, are you being serious? You feel like this. And you've ramped up yourself so much that you're stressed and you're busy and you have so much work to do. And you have one social bloody meeting today. And like <laughs> maybe like 30 seconds, I felt like physical relief. And I just went, yeah. but then it came back and I went, okay, this is not about today. I've also neglected all of my self-care. I've taken on board. I've said yes too many times because I want to help and problem solve. And, oh, it was just, yeah, I was in the exact same boat as you. And it took me, like, again, looking at my, my schedule and my list of things that I broke down and went, this is irrational. Okay. Maybe it's rational <laughs> if I 
All right, let's look at the past weeks of what I've been doing. So yeah, I feel you there, girl. Feel you there. It's definitely, it's definitely unique um, in that sense. And I think that's like one of the questions you put to me was about or one of the, the like the, the brainstormings I did before thinking about some of the things you were going to ask. And I think it's really important as you get older between about the mental process and being able to reflect on things and learning from things that have happened so you become more aware of your triggers and what does trigger them and the process to get there. And I think that in itself is a really big thing for mental health. So um, one of the things I've discovered in the last few years is like, I don't gel well. You'll probably laugh at this, but I don't gel well with like, this is a bit different, but like uni lectures, tutorials, PT sessions, anything where I'm having to commit on somebody else's time doesn't it's it's like it's really hard for me to do so I'm really and that ties back to not working for other people as well because I really like doing shit on my terms like literally on my terms and like I love like I love talking to people but the concept and I'm off center in front of talk in front of thousands of people don't care public speaking not a problem you put me in a networking event or like the launch party for example you will probably find me in a corner talking to one person for the entire night because the concept of going and talking to a whole bunch of different people just gives me the complete heat yeah, of these. Yeah. <laughs> Holla at you, sister. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It, it seems like a disconnect, doesn't it? But it's so funny. Like when you're in it, like I'm the same thing. Put me on stage. I can perform, sing, dance, act in front of so many people. But yeah. You, you yep. put me in a social event with 20 people and I've got to mingle. I'm going to go find the person that yeah. I know and I'm just going to stand there yep. and mingle until someone else comes in. And I'm, I'm fine talking to people, but it's just kind of like, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't, yeah. I don't <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, the whole, even like coaching though, like I love, like I was in such a really good position. Like I love all my clients. They're all still really good friends, but it's one of the biggest, apart from a multitude of other different things, I just, it just, it, it does, it like, it absolutely, like, actually, I've got another friend who's a coach as well. I remember him and I were talking about this. And the concept of having to leave the house to go to the gym to coach and be with one person for 45 minutes to an hour to talk to them, even people who are friends, I'm like, I still have such bad anxiety about it. Like, I just get so, like, I love coaching. Like, honestly, like, all of my friends, they're amazing people, but I would rather be sitting talking in a social setting where there's other people potentially involved than having to, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just bizarre. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm very similar. Even like now, um, I get even just Zoom meetings, for instance, if I know I've got something coming up, it doesn't matter how excited I am. I get like an instant, like it's almost like a, an autopilot anxiety. I'll just, yeah. but ugh, I have to go find a space and has no noise. And it's, it's weird. <laughs> I found it... It's yeah, it's it's just yeah. I know exactly what you mean, but it's kind of like it it gets easier the more that you're aware. And I think I've been trying to work out these triggers because you didn't mention like understanding and being familiar with your triggers. Um, and I think I did a post on the um, Brain to Bar podcast Instagram recently about like a, 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 a simple kind of concept on what triggers can be. They can be very obvious or they can be not obvious at all. And sometimes I found yeah. that I have to experience something numerous times and then Sherlock Holmes it by trying to connect the dots 
to try yep. and find the trigger. And sometimes you still can't. And that's when, you know, a third party perspective um, can come into play and go, well, I've noticed that you react this way every time I do this or say this or you see this or, and sometimes I, I know there are triggers deep down that are still, I still have no idea about, but as humans, as we get older and more aware, we can just, it's just going to come up and we can keep kind of, if we do our self-care practices, they're going to come up and we're going to find them eventually. But I don't think we're going to be like, there's, I don't think there's going to be a point where we have no triggers. Not at all. And I think they adapt and evolve as we do as well. So the more that we grow and we learn and develop and expand our world, the more that they change and alter as well. But I think as you were talking then, something that popped into my head years and years and years ago. So just kind of change it around and take it back a bit, like a bit of a long convoluted tangent that has a point. I love Uh, those. (laughs) When I was still, so I used to be a recruiter and I remember my other half did the forum, Landmark Forum, and this would be, my goodness, 2012 maybe. Mm. Um, anyway, he was. I went and did it and there were some things out of it I took away that were quite good. And I think one of them, there's a lot that I don't, like I either don't remember or don't agree with, but there were some key factors that have been almost consistently prevalent along a lot of other like mindset work as well. And I think one of the most important things too is like you were talking about the triggers before and having someone else look at them. And it's really aware too, it's really hard and it's a hard skill to learn, but to be mindfully aware of what glasses we look at the world through. And the thing is, is if we aren't aware some of our behaviours is is not um, conducive to being helpful or is a problem or anything like that, sometimes we can't piece those triggers together because we don't know that they're a trigger. So sometimes it's like there's a really great phrase if you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know that that could possibly be a trigger or a problem or an unhelpful thing, then we can't fix it. And it's not until we learn to take those glasses off, change the story and the rhetoric around something that's associated with that and then rebuild it from there. Like you can look at all sorts of things like stories that you don't even realise that you have around being organised, being good with money, being, you know, being wealthy, being fit, being healthy. Like how many people do you know from coaching that have potentially been overweight or been really unhealthy that have been like, oh, I can't do that. It was all people who are fit and healthy, spend hours and hours and hours in the gym every single day and they only eat this food. Like, and people don't even understand or know or are aware that they have that kind of um, like that kind of story or like ideology around certain topics. Yep. And I think it takes practice and skill and experience to learn over time. Like, okay, is this fact or is this something that I believe that's not even actually true? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I, you just said it really, <laughs> like everything that I was thinking, you have just verbalized it really, really well. Um, yeah. Like, in terms of, if we're talking things because everyone comes, especially clients, when they come to you, as you mentioned, they've got a certain, like they view um, the world in through certain pair of glasses. And uh, as a coach, we need to try and understand what type of glasses they're wearing and seeing if, see if we can actually, you know, clean them up a bit um, without having to force them to take them off. Because taking off that perspective yeah. and changing a perception is actually really difficult. And we got to pick our battles here because we're also trying to train them and, you know, yeah, instill absolutely. other habits. So in your experience as like a, a coach, because um, you'd be dealing with a lot of competitive athletes who actually have, you know, a competition goal and you've really got to be somewhat regimented and structured in certain areas. 
How did you go about, you know, um, trying to coach clients that may have had a bit of a perceptive barrier? Oh, that's a I know it's question. not a simple answer, um, but... <laughs> no, 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 but it's a, it's a really, really good question. I think... Oh gosh, I think that comes down like it's quite a like that's quite a multifaceted answer that you'd have mm. to give something like that. And I'm just trying to think back to some of the like the the ladies um, and some of the guys that I coach. I think it's a combination of understanding where the decision or the idea has come from and what drives it, mm. and putting people into a position where you can shatter it. Mm. So in a helpful way, like not in a non-helpful way, yes. but. I think like that was initially one of the things that really drew me to powerlifting, for example, because you could see someone going out there to lift a weight who had no, like, especially I think with women, like men can be a little bit more gung-ho. And I've seen this with jujitsu because I started doing jujitsu in November as well. Like love it, love, love. That's our entire but, household. Come join us for a role. Like literally. So done like my um our oldest son does mma i've got my other half into it oh. i do bjj we do bjj we've just started doing he's just started um ross who runs the studio we do it out of has just started doing japanese jiu-jitsu with us oh yeah <laughs> anyway tangent yeah. so i've spoken to ross about this quite a bit because i'm one of the only girls who rolls there in the classes mm-hmm. that i do and i said it's really interesting watching the guys because they will start and you probably find the same thing with karate where they'll start doing um, a skill or they'll drill something and then it will just progress to, to like to sparring or fighting or rolling for us, right? Yeah. Girls that I've noticed are a lot a lot more stringent and they just do the exercise and they drill it, they drill it, they drill it, they drill it, and then when they're meant to roll, they'll roll. Mm-hmm. So um, with lifting, for example, like with men, a lot of the time they'll just go out there and they'll just pick it up. Like they don't give a shit. Yeah. But if you get like with women, for example, a lot of the time you've seen the women that come to you and they've got really low self-esteem, low body image. Like it doesn't matter who they are. They, they all carry the same sort of wound. It's just in a different level. And there's a couple of instances, for example, like I trained this girl who's still a friend of mine. And when she started with me, she'd had some some decent mental health battles. Um, so not a competitive athlete. This is a non-competitive athlete, ex- athlete example. But so she had some really shit mental health battles, experienced really bad depression. She was working as a vet nurse. And um, they just, they cop a lot of crap. Like a lot of crap. And she at the time hadn't trained for a while, wasn't very strong at that point. So we started with just the broomstick. Like that was all she could do for a while. And then we just did the bar and things like that. And I think she has been one of probably her and one other woman have been like the most enjoyable athletes to watch because the transformative change they went through and picking up a weight that they didn't think they could do, not knowing what the weight was, before they went out, picking it up and then understanding the enormity of like the actions that they'd just taken is really cool. Mm. And I think that in itself is a really important benchmark for, for them to move forward with then because then they can go back and relive that experience and go, okay, I didn't think I could do this. I couldn't do it. I went through these methodical steps. I ticked off things one week after another and then all of a sudden, it happened and it's not always going to work that way, but it's a really good reference point because I think a lot of people, when they do something new, they have nothing to refer back to. And I think with lifting, it is such a, like it's such a malleable, tangible um, reference point you can use for nearly anything. If you put the work in, you're consistent day in, day out. Sometimes you just got to pick shit up and hope for the best. And a lot of the time you'll get it because you can do more than what you think you can do. But there was another girl as well 
So she was a, um, a slightly larger girl, still really awesome, had massive body image um, hang-ups because she'd come from an abusive relationship, not the person she was with then, but had come from one at quite a young age and had had a, um, a cervical cancer scare and was young. So she was 23, 24, Ooh. insanely strong, insanely strong. Italian girl, ridiculously strong. So, like, her squats went from... 50 kilos to like 130 in like six weeks. Yeah, oh I know. my gosh. Yeah, I know. Machine legend. Wow. Anyway, so we did this comp with her and she had really bad anxiety. Like just, mm. just same, same sort of thing we're talking about. Just stresses about whether she could do it, whether she wouldn't do it. She failed with everyone laughs at her. Just, just you, just normal yeah. stuff. And we didn't tell her what her last deadlift was going to be. And the last two had flown. So we, we dropped all of her weights because she was really nervous. And then we, didn't tell what the last one was, and it ended up being like 175 kilos. So the lift before was like 160. Blue. Didn't even stop. And when she knew, like, I wish I'd filmed it. I always wish I'd been wearing a GoPro because <laughs> we told her, and she was just like, didn't even miss a beat. She was like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was hilarious. And we were like, no, it's true. Go and have a look. And she's made so many, like, after that, like, the things that she was able to do, and then she went through, like, a really bad breakup bought her own house like it was really cool to see her own kind of growth not entirely because of me but just being able to so okay here's the way you need to go this is the the guidelines that will help you and she kind of took them on board and just ran with it um and it was just I think in those situations it's really important to find it's about setting people up to succeed I think and giving them the tools they need to do that and if they want to pick it up and run with it then cool if they don't well you can only do so much, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. That those two stories are absolutely I'm just getting goosebumps again, like breathtaking. Amazing That's, women. Like even just from an observational perspective, watching this person A become person B is still person A, but a completely like I don't know, I don't know just a kind of different you've you've definitely wiped clean the lenses from there. Yep. Like it's it's amazing. So I guess now we're going to have to slowly wrap it up because I can talk forever <laughs> about this stuff. Um, <laughs> if yes. you could give our listeners one tip, um, what you think is one of the most important things to really bring your brain to the bar um, and rise to the occasion, whether it's life, business, whatever, what would be one, say, tip or attribute that you would find would be one of the most important to try and get right? Okay, I'm going to be naughty here. There's a few that I have in my head. There's like four or five key ones, I think, <laughs> but they just kind of cover off different areas. So I'll wrap it up. Let's do I it. I think one of the really, a, a really, really important thing, I think, to always remember. So I just finished reading a book by, oh my gosh, what is her name? Mari, not Kondo, but someone else. Anyway, she runs a really cool business in the US. She has a book, and one of the key phrases she uses in it is everything is figure it outable. Loved her book. It was amazing. Best mantra in the world. And it's so true because everything can be figured out. Sometimes it takes a bit of time. Sometimes it takes re-looking at things, but literally everything can be figured out. And that has saved me through a lot of different shit lately. Um, Use our time well. So one of the best pieces of advice I was given at a really cool networking event I went to called Minding Her Business 
was that like use your time wisely because we do have more time available to us than we actually think mm-hmm. and using audiobooks podcasts in places like your car making you know cooking dinner cleaning doing the dishes mm-hmm. is really really powerful and like I've done that I think over the last year to 18 months I think I've read like 30 or 40 books doing something like that like it's phenomenal like less now because I'm not driving as much but I still do put them in when I'm doing the dishes or something just to be productive yep um, I would admit there was a period of time after like all the initial coronavirus stuff happened where I just, I just couldn't do it. I didn't push it. I've gone back to reading some um, fiction books for a while. So I've read through like a couple of, picked up a couple of books and read through them. And I'm reading, I've gone back to some classics that I've never read, like The Shining and I've got The Great Gatsby Ooh, to read. And yes. just a different part of my brain needed to do something. I needed to do some fantasy for a while and that's okay too. Mm. Um and I think one of the other brilliant pieces of advice as well, a really cool trick you can do with your brain if it's running away from you is, and to help teach that recognition of your thoughts, is to ask your brain or ask yourself, I wonder what my next thought will be. And you'll mm. notice your brain will go dead quiet. It's really cool. And it teaches you to sit back and look at what's going on. And it just puts a halt on everything. Um, and if you find like your brain is running away from you, it's a really quick, powerful trick to just center yourself and go, okay. Let's let's calm down. Let's just stop for a second and let's refocus and rejig this. So I think those are probably my key things. And then it's okay to communicate as well. Like it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to communicate. Um, and vulnerability is something that I, we mentioned before is something like I've always, always struggled with and am improving and working on, but it's a really hard thing and it's it shouldn't be. Like it absolutely shouldn't be. And so being able to communicate with people and express that it's hard, but still being able to do it is also really important because no one who is successful did it on their own ever, ever. It takes it takes people to support a person and that's okay too. And there's nothing wrong with that. You've heard it here, folks. Alicia with the <laughs> words of wisdom. I That resonated with me every single bit absolutely on the money thank you so much alicia for sharing with us your experiences and how you've done things and how you do things and just being a really good like representational personification of the fact that we are all in progress there is no finish we are always developing and we should be developing and you know whether it's you trying out a different activity that's goal-based or, you know, getting your audio books in or doing something constructive for you. I think that's what real self-care is, is being able to do things for you for whatever elements that you feel like you want to work on, need to work on, and just experiencing and appreciating every moment that it happens. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am going to post the links to Alicia's Instagram as well as the Strong Fitness magazine. Can you quickly just give us a spiel of what's happening next on Strong Fitness Mag AU? Strong Fitness magazine. Well, you can get our current digital version online at moment for whatever price you want to pay. So if you can only afford a dollar, that's fine. If you want to pay a little bit more, that's fine as well. So there is a link on our you can get a link either through, our, through the link in our bio on our Instagram or through our website, which is strongfitnessmag.com.au. Amazing. I'll post them in the description notes so you don't have to go too far. Thank you again, Alicia, and thank you to everyone who is listening through. Stay tuned to our Instagram for the release on our next guests. But for now, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep the smile on your dial.